and welcome to Ending Physician Overwhelm. I'm your host, Dr. Megan Mello. I'm a family and obesity medicine physician, as well as a certified life coach for physicians. In this podcast, we talk about how the learned habits of people-pleasing, perfectionism, and a lack of boundaries show up in our lives and how they contribute to burnout, exhaustion, and overwhelm. The healthcare system is broken, my friends, but let's not wait for it to be fixed in order to feel better. Hello, and welcome to today's show. Today, I want to talk about a common struggle that I see amongst us. And by us, I mean physicians and others in healthcare. I mean women, I mean parents and caregivers, however many of those boxes that you check. That struggle is the inability to rest and relax. We focus a lot in many of our conversations about the busyness of our lives and all the tasks, all the inbox work, all of the chores and errands, all of the running around that we do, but we rarely talk about how to actually relax. What are the practical steps to doing it? And frankly, many of us really suck at it. We don't suck at relaxing because of any flaw or fault in us. We struggle because we've been trained to be on guard, to be vigilant, to be curious, sometimes even suspicious. We've also been trained to work long hours and to ignore our bodily needs for years. And again, this is quite relevant to us, whether we are parents or physicians or otherwise in healthcare or caregivers of any kind, right? We are often ignoring our physical needs in service of other people. We have been scrutinized by fellow physicians, by nurses, by patients, by partners, parents, children, and people have both depended on us for high quality, highly educated, highly licensed, and highly responsible work, and often still asked more of us, still expected us to do all the things for them. Is it any wonder that so many of us are exhausted? and disconnected from ourselves. Here's a common story I encounter when talking to fellow physicians. Vacation time's coming. In the week before, extra patients are worked in, everyone's afraid of you not being there because it's not normal. Patients and staff come to you and they just want you to take care of this thing real quick before you go. The inbox seems to multiply exponentially And meanwhile, as you scramble at work, it occurs to you that you haven't packed, nor has your partner or anyone else who's going on the trip, because they rely on you to either pack for them or dictate what they pack or tell them that they need to pack because they they won't think of it themselves. You're the dependable one. You're the one who tells them what to do. Eventually, it comes time to leave work before vacation And somehow you make it onto the plane or in the car and you make it to your destination. But you have 20 charts to close and more stuff dumped into your inbox. And you don't want to leave it to your partners because they're already so busy. So you spend the first day of vacation on your computer, maybe in the sun, maybe by a pool, while everyone else plays. The second day, you're tense and tight, you know, you've been hunched over your computer You're anxious about what your inbox looks like, you know, like now and and when you return, 
maybe you'll just hop on and do a little bit. You end up spending time during your vacation trying to keep your inbox empty or at least neutral, right? Not, not filling up with stuff. You aren't fully present on your vacation. You're looking ahead to your schedule for next week when you return. You're anxious about it. You're not sleeping well. And then vacation's done. You go home. You're still exhausted and dreading going back to work. This vignette is fictional, but it's a something I hear a version of over and over and over again, right? We are almost afraid of leaving on vacation because of all the drama that happens before, during, and after. And I know that that's not exclusive to physicians at all. Um, you know, it's definitely been normalized in this culture where we can work from anywhere and we should work from everywhere. And it really gets in the way of our ability to relax. Yes, it's true that physicians used to take paper charts home each night, you know, to get caught up on work. So it's not brand new, but, you know, it's really important that we ask ourselves, what is the cost of this? The cost, I would argue, is our sanity and the skills of rest and relaxation. When we have conditioned our nervous system to always be on, then we teach our bodies to forget how to handle being off. Again, this is true beyond our work in medicine. You know, think about teenagers who are experiencing increased anxiety at overwhelming rates, you know, glued to their phones, scrolling social media, um, you know, overthinking text messages from their friends or, you know, if their friends didn't reply right away. Um, you know, we are not alone in this challenge, but we still have a responsibility to take action to undo it. In order to feel rested, we have to practice thoughts that allow us to have the feeling of rested. And we also need to practice activities that are restful. If you have listened to previous episodes where I've talked about the relationship, we, we often think that our circumstances create our feelings, um, but really it's our thoughts about circumstances that create the emotions that we have. And it's our emotions that end up determining our actions. We can have the best intentions to say, start a new exercise plan, but on a given day, if we're feeling really anxious, really exhausted, really overwhelmed, really angry, we might not follow through on the plan because those emotions don't often lead to the action step of us exercising as we had planned. Um, I've talked about this a lot in other episodes, and so you can certainly link back to some of those. Um, but again, in order to feel rested, we have to practice thoughts, new ways of thinking that allow us to have the feeling of rested. And we also need to practice activities that are restful. Said another way, we can't wait for our bodies to feel rested. We can't expect that they will automatically feel rested while we continue to scramble around and hustle. We need to practice thinking restful thoughts and doing things that rest and restore our bodies. And many of us have forgotten how to set boundaries around our time and brain energy so we don't have these thoughts regularly. Many of us have forgotten how to be able to sit still, or maybe we never knew how to sit still. We never maybe learned or we have forgotten how to intentionally do nothing. This explains why you struggle with meditation if you've tried it. 
It can explain why vacations aren't restful and become this big stressor in our lives. It explains why you are so exhausted. And I don't want to minimize the impact of the work that we do or minimize the impact of the culture of medicine and healthcare, and especially medicine and healthcare in the time where, you know, we're trying to evaluate care experiences as, you know, you might rate a new book or a new gadget on Amazon, right? This customer service aspect where we've got, you know, Prescani evaluations and we've got Google reviews and all of these things that we're trying to manage. So not only are we trying to provide excellent medical care, you know, against the odds and all the challenges that we're facing, but we're also trying to do it with a smile and a customer service approach uh, in many settings. And I don't want to minimize any of that. Let's just acknowledge and accept that the demands on us are real and they are often unreasonable. But even so, we still need to practice rest. We need to teach our bodies to relax again. So let's talk about how do we actually go about doing this? So one of the first steps that we start for nearly any process that we're working on with coaching is really acceptance and awareness that rest is a skill and it requires intention because there are always going to be worthwhile tasks that you could be doing at work or at home. There is way more work that can be done than one person is capable of doing. That's just the truth. This is where boundaries with yourself come into play. Since there is always more work at work and at home that you could do, you will have start choosing when to stop working. And this looks, you know, differently for different people. Depending on your specific specialty or your role, you may need to decide that it's going to be based on a certain time. That might be a certain time of day that you're going to stop working. It might be after you have worked, um, you know, set a timer for 30 minutes to tackle your inbox after your last patient. But when that timer goes off, you have decided that you're going to be done no matter how much is left. And, you know, we could talk more about that at length, but I'm just going to leave it at that. You may need to decide that the work is done when all of the critical results have been looked at. And yes, there's more results sitting there, but at some point you have to be done. You have to rest and go home. You may need to decide that there is some work that you're never, ever going to get to because it's never going to be the most important priority. And Again, I won't minimize that either. I think that, you know, recognizing that is a skill, but we have to pick something to get started. Whatever makes sense to you as a starting point, create a boundary with yourself that you are done with work at that time, you know, when you reach that particular point and and stick to it, right? Really set an intention that you're going to stick to it. The next step is often something that we miss and that's, you know, really a step about letting go. So often, even when we are leaving work or maybe we're dropping off kids or, you know, they're finally in bed, we're holding on to the mistakes or the to-dos or we're rerunning conversations in our heads and we're keeping our brains turned on. We think that we don't have control over this, but really we're not intentionally creating any separation there. So this is a good place for us start to, to start developing new habits, like developing a mantra type phrase or a practice of some kind that teaches your brain to create a stop, create a separation from being on and it's time to turn off. 
Choosing to tell yourself that you did the best you could today with what you had is a good start. You might have to say a phrase like that over and over again, you know, days in a row before you believe it, right? I did what I could today with what I had and I'm done for the day. It might be something like spending two to three minutes in a breathing practice. Um, one good practice for this would be the four, seven, eight breathing practice where you inhale for four, you count to four, four seconds. Um, you hold your breath for seven seconds or a count of seven. And then you exhale very slowly for a count of eight or eight seconds. The goal here is that not only are you doing the breathing, which has impact on your parasympathetic rest and digest response, but also in having to track the numbers and having to count, it distracts and shuts down your brain from being able to think about all the thoughts running through your head, all those ruminations. This act of breathing slowly and needing to count interrupts those other thoughts because you can't do both at once. Um, whatever it is, and as overly simple as all of this sounds, pick a practice that you repeat and that indicates to your brain and body that it's time to turn the busyness off. It's time to turn the brain chatter off. It's time to turn the work self off or the parent or caregiver self off, right? It is time to simply be human. You might have one version that you do at the end of your workday um, you know, so that you are not dragging home work, you're not dragging your work home with you mentally. There we go. Okay. <laughs> that you're not bringing that work home with you and constantly thinking about patients or thinking about encounters that you had with other people. You might need to have a different ritual that you do that helps to indicate, you know, the rest of a weekend or at the end of a stretch of night shifts, or something that you do before you go on vacation, right? Something that's intentional. Um, and again, those might look different depending on the circumstances, but spend a bit of time coming up with something, even if brief, that helps you to turn your busy mind off and get you in a mode where you're more ready to practice relaxation and rest. The third, the third step is starting to practice stillness. And funnily enough, stillness doesn't actually have to be stillness. I think about it more as um, mentally still, but, uh, you know, let's talk about that. So stillness often looks like walking, running, yoga, or swimming, something that you're moving your body, um, but you're not busily engaged in work. You're not multitasking. In order for these activities to be restorative and therapeutic, we do not multitask. I'm going to start out by saying, don't listen to a podcast, especially a podcast about work stuff, including this podcast there. I said it, I listen to a lot of podcasts, um, but there are times when I have to stop. My brain is full. I have a hard time listening to podcasts at the end of the day. I, you know, my brain is too busy and it's not restful. I need silence. We need to have times where we're not multitasking, where we're not trying to learn and think and grow times that we aren't doing that. So don't listen to a podcast. Don't listen to a lecture. Maybe you listen to music, but it's even better if you can try just listening to silences. Can you hear birds or other ambient sounds with your activity or with sitting still? 
Feel the muscles in your feet moving through your stride as you walk or the feel of your bottom sitting on the ground or a seat. You don't have to empty your mind. Many of us struggle with that idea and struggle with meditation because we feel like we need to have an empty brain, no thoughts. Um, thoughts are bad. Thoughts are proof that we're not doing it right. You don't have to do that. You're not going to achieve blissful Zen and this beautiful empty mind, but just having a practice where you come into your body, where you notice sensations in your body and you aren't jumping up and, you know, trying to run around and do all the things that you normally do. If your brain won't shut down as you're trying to do, you know, either sitting still or walking or swimming or, you know, any of those activities, you know, again, see if you can incorporate the breathing practice, the four, seven, eight that requires counting. Or one of my favorite things is trying to hear the sound that is farthest away from you. So if you are, you know, closing your eyes and just sitting for a moment, what is the farthest away sound that you're able to pay attention to? Um, you know, it might be an airplane, it might be um, traffic, you know, from the highway nearby, like what is that sound? Can you find it? I find that that very sh small little little short practice to be very helpful. Some people find that doing these practices in the mornings are really refreshing and centering, and it really helps them to get through their day, no matter sort of what the challenges are. Others want to do this work, you know, at the end of their day. It's the way that they sort of empty and create separation between their workday and their home and their rest. Um, they want to, you know, move their bodies. They want to, um, you know, allow their brain to stop the chatter. And again, it could be running, it could be walking, it could be swimming, it could be sitting still. If you have a meditation cushion, great. If you have a floor or a chair, that's just fine. If you are out of the habit, none of these things may feel very good to do at first. They not, may not feel very restful. But as you make space for them in your life, as you practice these intentional times of being off, of just being a human in your body, you will notice that your experience of it improves and really pay attention to that. Are you sleeping better when you do this? Are you sharper when you're making decisions? You don't get so caught up in them. How is your energy different in your relationships and in your communications with others? Pay attention to those things, especially if you struggle with this practice at first. The point of all of this is that rest doesn't just come to us. We can't order it on the menu. We can't turn it on with the click of a button. We have to start practicing stillness and quiet and teaching our brains and bodies that rest is needed, that rest is necessary. And I know for many of you listening that this can seem like too much, too big. I don't have time for that. I can't sit still. I can't meditate. I've tried, failed. The longer we keep those thoughts, thoughts that we can't waste our time that way, that we can't sit still, et cetera, the deeper the hole of burnout we dig ourselves into. If we really want to be healthy, if we want to function in our work, no matter how chaotic and broken our healthcare systems are, if we want to, you know, do well in our roles at home and keep up with all the things, we have to embrace this kind of intentional self-care. No one can do it for us. No one can rest on your behalf. They might be able to take items off your list, 
Um, they might be able to help you carve out some space, but they can't actually give you the feeling of restfulness. People can't do that for you. We can ask people for help. We can decide to take a leave from work or a break or a vacation. We can decide to quit. Even quitting doesn't create rest for us. Rest still has to be practiced and cultivated as a skill, as a practice. Feeling rested is a feeling that's repetitive, but rested is a feeling. It is a set of sensations in our bodies. And feelings come from the thoughts that we have and our feelings determine the actions that we take. If we don't create time, space, and practices for rest, we won't get the feeling of rested. We won't feel rested. So it's really important to do this work. And let's think for just a moment, like what happens when we actually do create time and space and rest? We realize how important it is. We can intellectually think about it, but when you actually start practicing this, we can really observe how much harder decisions are when we are feeling really strung out and overwhelmed. Um, we can, you know, notice how negative and cranky we are, you know, how it feels just really, really negative and, and, and pessimistic in our brains when all of our care and attention is flowing to others and we don't leave any for ourselves. My friends, we are humans. We need rest, love, attention, movement, and laughter just as much as any other human. And we need to let go of the idea that we have to earn it. You deserve these things just because you do. End of story. So that's what I have for you today. Thank you for joining me. I sincerely appreciate the opportunity to share these ideas with you and these practices, and I'll catch you next week. Until then, bye. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you as always for listening. To learn more about my coaching programs, head to www.healthierforgood.com. And if you love this podcast, please drop us a review on iTunes or support the show by clicking the link in the show notes. Until next time, take care.